Well, hey there, church people. I'm quite disappointed to let you know that on this week's episode with Carolyn Schrage, we had a technical difficulty with the recording that cuts off the first few minutes of her story and also makes it sound just a little off. The timing was unfortunate as I was heading to hike the Grand Canyon with some friends this week and I was totally disconnected and unable to get things fixed and posted in time. So hopefully the fields have fallowed and you are itching and ready for another episode. Here's this week's episode of Church People with Carolyn Schrage. And was used as an opportunity to exemplify Christ. But it obviously stands out very much to me that near my 10-year birthday, going to my mom and dad and saying, I need to go to heaven. Mm. I need to make this commitment. And baptism and confession, repentance, that was all very much modeled in the church. So in a little church in the heart of Africa, um, where I was living with my parents, um, I made the biggest decision of my entire life, yeah. and that was to make sure that I was dedicating my life, not my family's life, not my family's mission, right. but my life to serving God mm-hmm. and making Him Lord of Lord of all. Yeah, yeah. Where were you guys? We were in Rhodesia. Um, that's what it was called at that point mm-hmm. in time. Now, commonly known as Zimbabwe. Okay. Yeah. How long? How long were your parents there? So my. Parents set off when I was 18 months old, and um, we took a Norwegian tanker because they provided free passage to missionaries. Um, So my mother, who was pregnant, and my dad and I boarded this Norwegian tanker where the only person who spoke English was the captain. Everyone else um, spoke Norwegian, and they actually, he gave his quarters um, away to my mom and dad and myself, and they actually put chicken wire all around the deck so that I could toddle around the top because obviously they were not used to having children, and um, set off for the continent of Africa. My parents then served there for 14 years. When I was a sophomore in high school, that's when I returned back Mm. to the USA. Yeah, that's cool. They put chicken wire up, and uh, yeah, you'd have no memories of that. How long did it take you guys? Oh, it was several weeks to get to a dock, but my parents were not even guaranteed that the dock that they went to would be one that was on their radar. So they just docked at Casablanca, and then they had to figure out how to get on a um, plane and when the plane would come so that they could then make that flight and contact the people that were supposed to pick them up <laughs> and give them a timeline as when to expect them at the airport. Wow. So an adventure. So that should be a whole nother podcast yeah. that my mom and dad yeah, could absolutely. share with you. Because, I mean, obviously, wow. Zayden and Helen Nutt were members of College Heights yeah. for many, many years. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of because they were here when we returned Mike and I, after our overseas time, we came to College Heights. Wow, that's crazy to land in Casablanca. I mean, it would have taken him how how much longer? Weeks, months to get all the way down to. It was a very long journey. So. (laughs) Wow, that's cool. Okay, so what do you remember about what are some uh, milestones in those years from zero to fourteen for you? in your faith or otherwise, just in your life in those years? I think that 
for me, once the commitment was made at the age of 10, mm -hmm. there were still those faith trials mm -hmm. that came along when, um, you know, we all have our different times along the way that we have to make sure that our faith is our own. Mm -hmm. And obviously one of those times for me was relocating from the only country that I knew and coming to a country that was my passport country, yeah. but maybe not necessarily had been a country that I'd lived in mm -hmm. and how to integrate well into a different culture yeah. um, and to take the experiences from before and meld them into my faith walk um, you know, as, as I move forward in my teen years. And so yeah. I think definitely being a part of a youth group when we very first came back, yeah. um, being very integrated with people that my parents and obviously I knew were aligned in faith, uh, you know, just surrounding you with those positive influences when you are on new transitional mm -hmm. ground that I think is really important for Christians yeah. to make sure that you aren't landing without a plan. Yeah. And so I think my parents were very intentional yeah. with developing relationships with other individuals that they knew had kids that also were on that solid plane. Yeah. Um, because I, I was fortunate that while there was rock solid Christianity in my home, my parents didn't seclude me from the rest of the world. Yeah. And so, you know, they encouraged me to be on the basketball team and to make relationships where you're taught team concept and where you're taught competition yeah. and where you have the opportunity to be salt yeah. and light. Right. Um, they, they had that missionary mindset from the time I was little going overseas, but just as much yeah in the home here right, right. where, you know, I've often joked that I think half of my life was spent as a missionary overseas to prepare me for being a missionary in my very own backyard mm, here in right. Joplin. That's right. Yeah. So you come back, where'd you guys land? Joplin? We landed in Joplin, um, partially because my parents were very connected to Ozark Christian College mm -hmm. and um, this was a, a community where um, my parents felt very welcome and they then began to build the organization of Good News Productions International mm -hmm. because that had been so integral in what my dad had been doing in Zimbabwe or Rhodesia at the time he left and that was you know preparing those materials that were contextually appropriate for that culture and other people in other cultures were saying, hey, how do we also capture that message mm -hmm. in a way that is not Americanized but is very culturally relevant for the tribes in different regions that need to see Christ not with a white face, but to see Christ with the heart of whatever yeah. diversity they were involved in. Right. And so that's kind of how we landed in this area. Yeah. Um, I went to Carl Junction High School, yeah. um, was on the basketball team. Yeah, go Bulldogs. <laughs> um, graduated from there, went two years to Ozark Christian College, and really at that point in time went on an internship under Harvey Backus mm -hmm. um, to India, and I fell in love with the Indian culture. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much where I felt that I wanted to go and serve. Yep. And then this wonderful young man came <laughs> into my life, and his degree was in agriculture, yeah. and really his focus was on animal husbandry, and it was like, well, go into those that 
don't raise their cows right. for good production, but worship the cows, maybe his tooling up. Um, but in that process, yep. I had determined that, um, you know, I was going to serve Christ in a cross-cultural way. Mm. And so I'll be honest, Colby, on my first date with Mike, yep. basically I said, hey, I'm going to be serving in missions. If you're not interested, don't waste any more time. Yeah. That's probably yeah. not the best way right. to go about a relationship. <laughs> but he was a brand new Christian. Yeah. He really didn't know much about missions at all. Right. He was thoroughly intrigued and went back to explore more his own um, relationship with Christ and what what was missions all about. And so out of that, God really took the tools of my degree in nursing. When I left from Ozark, I, I got my degree mm -hmm. from Fort Hay State University. Yeah. And Mike, with his degree in animal husbandry, we really then came to a point where we were just like, okay, God, where do you want us to yeah. serve? And at that point in time, ICOM was known as the Missionary Convention. Yep. Yep. Mike and I went to that um, before we were even married yep. and began exploring you know, what, what did this look like? And mm -hmm. then after we got married, we we're like, okay, here we are. Send us. Take the tools that you've told up. Take the heart and the passion yeah. of what it means to follow the commission, which is a go mission, not a stay mission. Yeah, right. um, and let us be open to where you're leading. Yeah. And that took us then to Kenya, where we went with our 10-week-old baby girl and... Um, served in that country for 20 years. Yeah. Um, we have three children. Yeah. Two of the three were born in Kenya. Yeah. They all went to school over there. We occasionally would come back for a summer mm -hmm. um, to visit family, visit our churches. But really, my kids and their um, introduction was on the continent yeah. of Africa, but very much with a deep passion and appreciation for the passport country that yeah. we all have and yeah. the incredible um, privilege right. that it is to be Americans. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so backing up, how did you first meet Mike? What was that? So... Because he doesn't sound like he was at Ozark at the time. Right? No. So Mike had already graduated from Southern Illinois okay. in Carbondale and was working for my uncle that owns a pretty high-end purebred hog operation. Okay. And my mom and my grandpa had actually met Mike and had been like, he is just such a nice young man. He's walking with the Lord. He's new in his faith. Um, Gary Reed was the pastor at that particular point at Reinhardt Christian Church. Mm -hmm. And so... Through family kind of um, instigating a meeting, he called me up at 6 o'clock in the morning after Thanksgiving one day and said, hey, would you be interested in going out? And I'm like, who wakes up at 6 o'clock in the morning? But for him, he was doing the, the chores. He was yeah, doing the things yeah. that he needed to do as right. the farm manager. And so our very first date was here in Joplin. I was home from nursing school, and that's where we kind of met. And... That was, I'm just going to say, that was back before cell phones yeah. and email. Yeah. And so a lot of our dating relationship was done in letters, back and forth, phone calls. We worked out a lot of theology, a lot mm. of missionology, um, a, a lot of dating in letters, which was incredibly helpful yeah. and um, insightful in figuring out our alignment and where we 
where we were headed. Yeah. Reinhardt Christian Church. Is that up by Nevada? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's yeah. where you were? Well, that's where my grandparents okay. and many of my uncles, that's where my mom grew up. Hmm. And so that's that's the church. that, And that was one of our sending churches when we did cool. go to Kenya. And yeah. um, we had three sending churches. They got behind us and they yeah. sent our little family. And um, we were actually, Mike and I are ordained at Reinhardt Christian cool. Church. And then sent out yeah. from that, okay. that spot. My uh, The lead pastor at my home church, Fort Scott, Kevin Moyers yes. is now uh-huh. Reinhardt. And I was like, oh, that sounds familiar. And Kevin just went with Mike and some other area pastors over to Kenya. That's right. And um, Kevin bumped into Heidi, who had been a student at Ozark and is now serving over in Uganda. So lots of small God networking, which is the cool part of being part of God's family. Yeah. People always say like, oh, such a small world. And I always think, no, it's Mm -hmm. a tight-knit kingdom is what it is. Oh, I like that. It's a tight-knit kingdom because one of my favorite stories along those lines, I had one of my roommates... Uh, or one of my friends from college, he was in India, and it wasn't in like you know the main city that that you would fly to, you know the capital, but they were like five or six hours away or something like that. And he saw another guy we went to school with. They were in a market. They saw each other from like you know a block away because they're the only two white people around. They both had cameras. And they like caught their heads like, what are you doing here? He's like, what are you doing here? I just think it is so wild that that we run into people like that. Yeah. Okay, so you you start dating, you're working out your theology of God, missions, all of it. Um, How long did you date? We actually dated about six months. Mike will tell you that on the first date... When I invited him into my parents' home for a cup of tea, he was a dead ringer right there. He's like, I don't know who she is. I've never had a <laughs> cup of tea. Like, he'd only ever had iced tea. Yeah. He's like, but I'm going to marry this right. woman someday. <laughs> it took me a little bit longer to figure out how I was going to get this person to agree to go to India. Mm. But really, it took submission on my part, yeah. and it took an openness to not being headstrong in a specific people group, but being open to what God was mm-hmm. um, really opening up for both of us. And I think that patience through the process um, then really led us to having that partnership in our marriage yeah. that has really um, stewarded us well over 42 years yeah. of marriage. Wow. You were so firm in what you wanted to do. Was there... Uh, was there any experiences for you with God that kind of was just this stake in the ground that was like, I am called to overseas missions. I'm called to be in another country or, you know, I, I, I guess at that point, America is another country for you. Absolutely. Um, I think first and foremost, our calling has to be to Christ, yeah. not to a vocation, mm-hmm. not to an area of ministry, yeah. but called to Christ. That's right. And I think when we're called to Christ, then he takes sometimes the desires of our heart. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, having been raised in a very ethnically diverse kind of community and it not bothering me to be in the minority, that was kind of a a God-given win that really opened that door, knowing that there's not a lot of individuals that maybe necessarily um, 
feel that comfort, why not steward that excitement, that adventurous spirit um, in a way that could really prove a kingdom expansion mindset? Um, Do I think it's more holy to be called to that kind of mission than it is to being a missionary right here in Joplin? Absolutely not. I think God uses us wherever we're at, Mm. but sometimes we get the perk of being able to combine um, some of our heart's desires with the place that he kind of gravitates our hearts to. You guys worked through a lot in only six months of dating. To, to be on the same page. That that seems like and a I, microwave. You know? I would say it was <laughs> six, six months. months of dating before we knew we were the ones. And oh, then it was a okay. little bit longer yeah. to work out the logistics yeah. and yeah. the timing. So it was about it was about a year yeah. before we got okay. married. Before you got married. Yeah. Okay. I was like, wow, six months. Yeah, well, really, again, yeah. you should have listened to my mom. And they, yeah. 30 days. 30 days. And they got married. Wow. So... Yeah, it, that's pretty. Wild. And they are married more than sixty years. So. Because it's a choice. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's a and choice it's a over commitment. and over, a commitment day after day. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so you get married. You've got. Uh, you went to Fort Hayes. Mm-hmm. And and he went to SIU. He had already graduated yep. from SIU. Okay. So I went to Ozark. At that point in time. Fort Hayes State University was the only place that would take Ozark credits, mm-hmm. and so. I was able to count some of those credits towards my nursing degree, yeah. but got my nursing degree. Um, mm-hmm. We got married um, before my last year, so we finished up school to get. I finished up school. Yeah. He worked at a agricultural research station okay. in Fort Hayes, and then we came back to Joplin while we were doing our support raising. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you raised support. How long did it take you at that point to to get on the field? We were actually on the field within a year. We had a few little hiccups along the way. Um, Mike was volunteering with my grandfather, working at the Good News Mm -hmm. property, Mm -hmm. putting together um, some additions that we're doing there, and actually had a construction accident where the rebuyer wire Mm. um, poked Mike in the eye and ended up that he lost sight in his eye. But at that point in time, I was... Uh, a week overdue with our first yeah. child wow. and um, we were naive and adventurous enough that that didn't detour us we still were on a plane within eight weeks yep. and headed over yeah. um, to Africa and so that that's kind of the you know not everything is smooth sailing when you look back at it yeah. but God was really faithful yeah. in the hard times and um, in the harder times yeah. but he kind of saw us through and we ended up being in Kenya and serving there for 20 years. First yeah. with a nomadic tribe called mm-hmm. the Pukat. We lived in uh, lived in a hut and served out of our hut. We had our kitchen hut, which was our pizza hut. We had our <laughs> medical hut, which is the hut that I provided medical care out of. And then yeah. we had our sleeping hut. So yeah. we had our little huts and Mike's church was basically out under the acacia trees, sitting down with the yeah. warriors. They all had their Mm AK-47s strapped and or their spears. And it was just that relational opportunity to connect with people Mm -hmm. where they're at. Um, And I think that's something that stewarded us well, that we know that when we're on mission for Christ, first and foremost, 
we get the opportunity to loiter with intent yeah. through relational. Right. It's not about a program. It's not. It's about people. Yeah. And if we're looking to what are the connecting points with them, yeah. then we start to really develop relationships yeah. that draw people to Christ, not cram people down that's right. people's throat. Yeah, that's right. So did you guys go and join a team or a work that was already existing, or did you pioneer kind of your own thing and just parachute in and start figuring things out? We actually joined a team, yeah. and I would say in the long run for us, we found that team is such a win. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely has their challenges, especially when you are in a cross-cultural context because suddenly this is your family, this is your church, this is your work team, this is your holiday. I mean, it's all together in this very tight. But it is, when you have a good team, it is the best thing ever. And we still continue to have probably some of our closest relationships with people that we served on the field with. Um, you know, our kids were baptized together. Our kids went on vacations together. Our kids are still connected. And I think that's, you know, it it goes back to, I think, sometimes what we're trying to simulate in our churches in terms of small groups. Yeah. That when you have a small group that you're doing life with, yeah. you really become connected. Yeah. And you're connected not just because of blood or because of nationality, yeah. you're connected because of that common vision right. and that joy in being kingdom planters and yeah. kingdom spreaders. That's right. Mm. That's good. So what were, um, what were some of the highlights of those 20 years for your, on, you're in Kenya. What were some of the, the big wins, some of the difficult times that you all went through in those 20 years? I would say for me, Colby, probably the biggest win is that all three of my children were baptized right. and are walking with the Lord yep. still to this day. Yep. Um, that is first and foremost a priority yep. and a blessing. Um, I think that, you know, on a broader scope would be the number of churches that were planted during the time that we were there and seeing how those churches have grown mm. and replicated yep. and that there are thriving Christians mm. that um, are walking with the Lord and serving and even sending out missionaries from Kenya to Uganda, from Kenya to Sudan. Yeah. Um, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, for me personally, um, as a nurse, being able to work with um, just through relationship building, really the local church being inspired to reach out and serve the orphans of yeah. those um, sort of during the AIDS epidemic yeah. at its sort of its epic and being able to work with local government um, workers and bring the power of Christ into a community that needed resources yeah. for those um, really abandoned children. And so that, again, seeing that that children's home is still thriving today. Yeah. And, you know, for me, even after being here for several years, um, going back and one of the um, children home mother girls coming up and introducing me to her kids and saying, you know, if you hadn't been there wow. to take me out of the situation where... 
literally being used in trafficking mm-hmm. as a child. Mm-hmm. If you hadn't taken me into this home, I would never know what it means to be a mother and wow. to know God down. So those kind of full circle things, that's that's just a an awesome win. Yeah. Because not everyone who tills and labors gets to see the fruit yeah. of that labor. Um, but I would say those are definitely some yeah. of the wins from the 20 years that we had yeah. in Africa. What were some of the struggles over those over those times? What were some of the hard hard things that you guys came up against? I think for sure, loneliness, isolation from your own family. Yeah. Um, you know, when you are the ones that are giving and serving in a culture that doesn't speak the language or doesn't praise together, you know, there's not a worship service that I'm in today that I don't just absorb what a beautiful thing it is to praise God in your own language yeah. and not take that for granted. Um, and so I think those were sort of some of the, the downside. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, for our family, we've gone through typhoid, we've gone through malaria multiple yeah. times, um, we've had to, you know, battle seasons where our family literally, our youngest was hidden in a water tank um, when there were battle skirmishes that were happening. And right. at that point in time, I didn't know where my child was, but I knew that the people she was with were going to take care of her. Yeah. Um, you know, just those evil threats that come from without. I think also just education for your kids yeah. and that fear of are they going to assimilate back into yeah. their mother culture so to speak um, just some of those challenges when you are wanting to raise world Christians yeah. not American That's Christians right. yeah. and how do you help physically survive but how do you help the emotional and um, you know just that spiritual side of development when when things are a little bit out of your comfort zone. Right. But I think for me, um, being a third culture kid and also raising third culture kids, um, it, just a little bit more of a, of a challenge, but also not seeing it so much as a challenge as just a joy and a mm-hmm. privilege. Um, and also to take it as a, an exciting challenge, yeah. not a negative challenge. Yeah. Mm. How did you make the difficult decision or maybe it wasn't so difficult, the difficult decision to move back to America? It was a very difficult decision. Um, But I also think on some ways it it was us also realizing that when we committed in marriage and we committed to have children, that we also had a commitment to them and to their spiritual walk. And so we had really absorbed some wisdom from other people who had gone on before and they had said you will never regret making a decision based on the health of your family Mm -hmm. and the health of you know as opposed to ministry god will bless you with new ministry directions but for us we felt especially because we had not lived in this culture uh, in the usa for 20 years that we wanted to be available to our kids when they began going to college, when they began deciding about Mm. marriage, um, going through their dating, going through where did they go home for vacation, um, how we would be there to support them, and really kind of thought we would be 
in the States for maybe five years till we kind of got through that. Mm. And God had other plans because yeah. he kind of took us in different directions of ministry and service that, um, again, goes back to you're called to Christ. You're not called to a geographic That's location. Right. Yeah. So you had the intentions of going back. Uh, when we first came back, yeah, yeah, we felt like, oh, this is just a period of time mm-hmm. when we're going to come back, and yeah. we're very open to yeah. going back. It right. was not a closed door. Right. It was a, hey, see you later kind of door, mm-hmm. which for Mike, it has continued to be a see you later because of his work with Good News Productions. Yeah. Right. He's able to travel back and forth and keeps those doors open. Yeah. For me and my responsibilities, it doesn't give a lot of latitude for me to travel back. Right, right. How old were your kids when you moved back? So when we contemplated this journey, our eldest child graduated from high school and she came back on um, to U.S. soil and did her first year of college here without the family, knowing Mm -hmm. that the rest of us were coming. So then our second daughter, um, she was ready to go to Ozark Christian College at the time that we moved back and our son was a sophomore. He was a sophomore. And because he was six eight, I was gonna say yeah. He kind of found his <laughs> tribe, um, so to speak, in playing basketball yeah, yeah. at um, Carl Junction yeah. as well. Um, you know, he sought out. We kind of had a team huddle for our family, mm-hmm. and kind of determined when do you all feel the best timing is. And so it was a family decision. We included our kids in yeah. that decision. Yeah. And then when we came back here, it was like okay. What school, Kyle? Let's check out these different schools. And he grew up playing soccer, and uh, we met, you know, with a couple different athletic programs around. And the one was like, uh, "No, you won't be playing soccer here. You'll be playing basketball, yeah. and you're on my team." <laughs> so, you know, it was it was kind of a, a different journey, but yeah. also it was a very good way to assimilate. And again, mm-hmm. I think that team factor when yeah. you find a team hub, right. when you find your tribe, you find that sort of that core nucleus mm. that helps you to find your people yeah. and know your place. Yeah. So you're getting the kids settled in in their own new teams and worlds when you come back. What what was next for you and Mike? Vocationally, um, relationally, what were some of those first few years you're settling into America? What would that look like for you guys? I think it was probably more difficult on us, probably more so on Mike than the rest of the family, because it was a natural break for the kids, for their entrance into college, etc. You know, Mike already had the deep connection with Good News Productions, and so that was kind of just an ongoing, just from another location, but with the same heart, the same ministry, that mindset. I think for me, I was kind of like, my priority is to get my family settled, and then, shoot, I've been a nurse in Africa for 20 years. What, I, how would I ever assimilate back into yeah. using those skills in the USA? And was kind of like, you know, there's a Hallmark store at North Park Mall back in the day. <laughs> and I love cards and I could never buy cards in Africa. Maybe I'll work there. Yeah. But God kind of had other plans. Yeah. And one of the individuals, um, actually Deanne Miller, who was a volunteer at Life Choices at that point in time, but she and her husband, Doug, and their family, they had supported us while we were in Africa. Yeah. And she was like, hey, they're looking for a part-time nurse down at this little place called Life Choices. Yeah. And um, since you're a nurse, 
they're wanting to kind of get the STD program up and running. Is that something you'd be interested in? And at the time she mentioned it, I was like, oh, I am not in the world of <laughs> sexual health. Like, sure, I knew about HIV and the AIDS yeah, epidemic yeah. in Africa, but don't know much about it in America, yeah. but went down and visited. And at that point in time, um, Sandy McReynolds was uh, one of the operation managers, and she was also attending College Heights, and she kind of filled me in on the vision and what they were needing and what they were wanting to do. And with hesitancy, I applied, and very quickly then I did realize just the importance of being a missionary in our very own backyard. And I don't know that I ever thought that I would grow up to be a sex missionary, but Colby, that's pretty much what... um, (laughs) what this path has led me down. And so as of two weeks ago, I've been at Life Choices for 20 years. It's grown a lot, we've diversified, but you know, I think it goes back to one of the theologians that said, some want to live within a sound of a church or a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And I think for me, that's that innate Mm. calling to Christ that I want to be there to be a gospel whisperer wherever that culture may be, wherever that mission field is, because I can see every single person in my sphere of influence, whether that's the same person that I'm trying to go through the checkout line at the grocery store, whether it's a client, whether it's the FBI um, agent that I'm working with, they're pre-followers. And their followship to Christ Mm -hmm. and to my Lord can be hastened if my example is one that draws them closer Mm -hmm. to the light. So if I view everyone not as a project, not as secular versus spiritual, Mm -hmm. but everyone as part of my kingdom responsibility, it's not relegated to ministry versus a job. Yeah. It's all ministry That's right. because I have this incredible opportunity to see mm-hmm. people as pre-followers yeah. and to whisper the gospel into their lives. Yeah, that's good. So you become you come on staff at Life Choices as a part-time nurse. Tell us the story of, now you're the director, right? Tell us that story and what were some of the, what was the markers that got you to being the director? And then what were some of the growing pains through those years for you? That would be three more podcasts to go through (laughs) all of that. No, um, I think for me, it was just the obedience to come in and say, God, here am I, Mm. in the same way that you used me in ways that I wouldn't have expected in Africa, use me here. And so the obedience to do medical excellence and to do it with that credibility and do it well, So that began the process of building our STI services and to also broadening that, not just to see that our focus was on women or women with functioning uteruses, Mm -hmm. but how do we address the culture of life, which includes men and women, those relationship building opportunities before you ever get pregnant, let alone just when you're pregnant. And I think that cultural mindset of being a missionary for so many years brought me in with also that learning mindset. This is a new culture. I need to learn this culture. I need to learn how do I 
contextualize the gospel for those that are seeking but don't even know that the intimacy factor that has taken them into this chronic issue of sexual health crises, really the answer is an intimate walk with Christ. Mm-hmm. And how, how, do we, how do we bring them to Christ? And so for me, it was like, we want to be the clinic of first option, not yeah. the clinic of last resort. Yeah. We want people to walk in expecting medical professionalism and getting that. But along the way, are so mesmerized by, <clears throat> why don't you guys smell like a nonprofit clinic? Why, yeah. what is so nice about you guys? Yeah. Like, how are you so different? And letting that organically be the opportunity to say, well, it's because we have of the church that is really funding our organization and really we're here because we love. And I think that has led into then us opening that box to where we do have men that are on, on our volunteer that are meeting with men who are facing that unplanned dad scenario and really incorporating men as much of the process as women. And then with our STI services, you know, offering those to both men and women and diversifying our partnerships in so many different ways. And then that led not only to be very inclusive of men um, in our fight for the culture of life, Mm -hmm. but being able to offer additional services and have more Physicians come on board with volunteering yeah. and providing opportunities for that gold standard of care. And then our nation saying, well, how do we get those services into our clinic? And so our team then being used on a national level to do trainings and consultancies. And then out of that came this burning desire to realize that for us, we were serving those that are in the commercial sex industry or those that um, were being trafficked domestically and how did we tool up our team Mm. to be more ready to respond and to be life responders whether it's a voiceless victim in the womb or it's a victim of trafficking we have this biblical justice responsibility Mm. to speak up and to allow the platform of sexual health to speak truth and to have that truth really tempered with God's grace. And I think that platform then just blew open the doors with partnerships with local and, you know, more of our our partnership with the FBI, with Homeland Security, with law enforcement. Um, We've now done 29 operations, which have been at the uh, invitation of law enforcement, where they want our team to be on site to provide victim services. Mm -hmm. That's a huge road where I would have never dreamed that we would have walked through that door. Um, But now being able to empower other states to see that through medical excellence, But I think, to me, the most important thing is all of these different symptomatic responses are giving us access to the hearts of people for a systemic Mm -hmm. fix. Mm -hmm. And that systemic fix for our sexual chaos is Jesus. And Mm -hmm. that comes all the way back to the heart of what it is to be kingdom agents for him. Sometimes we do that in covert manners. Sometimes we do that from the pulpit. That's right. But whatever, wherever God's landed us, 
It's our responsibility to figure out that niche yeah. and to steward it because it. we're going to be held into account. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, what are some uh, what are some resources that God's used to to refine you, to shape you over these last few years, to shape your soul and your ministry and just who you are? I think a lot of it would ha- would be the local church yeah. and being connected to a body. I think making that decision to be yoked to a very godly, mm. um, devoted man yeah. um, who is my partner yeah. and who has walked through a lot but stayed committed to our marriage. I yeah. think that's also been a, a solid stabilizer. Um, I, and I think that there have been some impacting books in my leadership journey that definitely, um, we were kind of just chatting about this before, but crucial conversations is an excellent book of really helping us to know how to, um, have those critical conversations, how not to shy away in a very tolerant focused world. We sometimes shy away from having those crucial conversations that, don't allow God's truth to be empowered, yeah. but learning how to temper that with grace. And mm-hmm. so I love that book, Crucial Conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I think a book that spoke into sort of my leadership style was The Way of the Shepherd. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Lehman, I, I love that book, and I love the analogy of being a shepherd that knows your flock. So your flock want to follow yeah. um, rather than being a boss or a dictator. When you know your sheep, yeah. And you know, then then there is an intimacy yeah. that comes from that teamwork. Yeah. Um, another book that I really appreciate is called Culture Code. Mm. Um, it just kind of helps you to look at each demographic of culture that you're serving um, and see them for where they're at and not expect them to adjust to you, but how are you adjusting to them? Mm-hmm. You know, And so I think for, in our context, how I adjust to working with law enforcement on a sting operation is going to be different than how I adjust to reaching out to um, our club outreach when we're working with that yep. tribe, so to speak. Right. Um, so it's on us to do... The changing it, yeah. it goes back to you know Paul to the Jews a Jew to the Greek a Greek. Yeah. You're not compromising who you are, yeah. Yeah. but you're learning to adapt yeah. and to being pivot ready yeah. and to contextualize the gospel mm. to the culture that you're walking in on, not expecting them to adhere to your culture. It is such a contrast and like a shocker to people when you are flexible and culturally agile and and take a step towards someone else, trying trying to speak their language and, and fumbling through it or, or, or trying to connect and, and be curious about them. It is, I think it is so meaningful to people oftentimes when you, you try. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and we, I would agree that, you know, part of it is we don't have to presume to be their culture. That's right. But if we're genuine to walk into their culture, letting them know that, you know, I don't have to soul talk with a street rapper. I don't have to cuss or take the Lord's name in vain to connect with a culture that does. I can be me, but the fact that I'm going and I'm not saying come, you know, that that speaks volumes. Being genuine, being honest, I am who I am, 
but I love. Yeah. And they can see straight through whether or not your love is genuine. I, I've often said, Colby, that sometimes like where I spend Wednesday nights with the group of individuals who are not on a church-centered path is often more purely genuine and spiritual than Sunday morning. Yeah. Because those people have no premise to yeah. hide. No. They are who they are. Yeah. They're going to say what they think. Yeah. That is refreshing. Yeah. Honesty and genuineness yeah. is so refreshing. They're not putting on airs. But for whatever reason, when we're accepted into that, when there is a difficulty, where are they coming to? They're coming to the individuals that they feel have that stabilizing calm. Mm. And I love those opportunities. But yeah. it does kind of get us kicked out of your comfort zone yeah. to go where the culture is. Yeah. It reminds me of when Megan and I were in Chicago. We lived in this big apartment building. Like it was an old dog food factory. <laughs> and so it was like seven or eight stories high. And uh, we got invited because we had tried to connect with our neighbors and uh, someone down at the end of the hall, they invited us to their Friendsgiving party. It was very common for in Chicago, most people we knew were young adults and uh, would often, it was kind of weird on holidays because it was like, well, you could travel too far away back to home or you could stay. And it was, there was no families, like, you know, multiple generations of families. It was just like, we were all around the same age. And so they invited us to this Friendsgiving and, um, you know, we eat dinner and then they all start getting drunk. And this apartment is just packed out with people. And we're, <laughs> we're talking and, and as they're getting more drunk, they're, you know, people would talk to Megan and I and be like, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And you would think, I mean, it would blow their minds. They would get so curious and like just could not make sense of, okay, you're 24 and you're a pastor and you're here in our apartment at this party. Like it just did not make any sense to them. And there has been, I mean, some of those environments like that, people are so curious and they ask me so many big questions, real questions of just like, okay, hold on. Like it was like, they just wanted to like pull out the Rolodex of questions that they had these big questions that they had never had someone that wasn't kind of a stodgy, hands-off kind of person that it was like, wait, you're in my world, sitting on my couch. Hold on, I've got some questions for you. Yeah. You know, those are just the best. Well, and I think one of the things that kind of exemplifies when we're going into somebody else's world, we often don't have to necessarily explain yeah. um, who we are because when we've built relationships, other people can kind of explain for us who we are and so right. in in one of the locations where we go often and have been doing so for about seven years um some of the younger ones that come out they're like oh yeah we've heard about you ladies coming right. on wednesday nights <laughs> like why why do you come yeah and then when you've got one of the more seasoned individuals that turns around and says oh these are the best blanking christians you'll ever meet yeah yeah and you're like whoa okay those two words don't seem like they should go in the same sentence but really honestly what better colloquial way of being accepted than to have someone use their terminology to say these people are real yeah. and these people are mm. in our world yeah. and yeah, they, 
don't fit the mold of what you think. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I went out to the parking lot where my husband and others were waiting. I was like, whoa, you will not believe this conversation. But, you know, this is sort of the descriptive term. And he's the one that said, oh, sweetie, what better invitation to like their community, to their tribe, mm-hmm. than to have that term used in describing what kind of Christians that we are. Yeah. And I think the world needs to see more blank Christians yeah. that are willing to yeah. get up and go and be who we need to be to yeah. a world that is seeking and searching. And a lot of times they don't even know what they're seeking and searching yeah. for, but we know what that answer is. Yeah. We're the ones that can draw them to us for that sip of water, for yeah. that well. For me, you know, church is really the pep rally. Yeah. It's just the event that happens one to two hours on Sunday yeah. um, so that we can get out and be on the team yeah. and play the game the other six days out of the week. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we have that really reversed. Yeah. And and I think we need more players on the team yeah. um, rather than pep rally sitters. Yeah, that's right. That's good. I love it. Well, what word of encouragement, exhortation, blessing might you have for your church family? You know, I I think for me, it would just, it would be, be that Christian that blows the mind mm-hmm. of anyone that meets you. Yeah. That you are genuinely, authentically real in your faith. Um and that you just love people with unabashed love. Yeah. And that you are there to receive that world yeah. um, into the adoption of Christ. And know that that comes with mess. That yeah. comes with um, disappointment. But don't be discouraged. Mm. Be who Christ called you to be. Um, but be in fellowship yeah. with others. So yeah. that you're not lone rangering it out there. But you've got accountability in how you are walking in kingdom planting. Yeah. I love it. Well, Carolyn, we're grateful for you. Just as a church family, we're grateful for who you are and your story and to partner with you at, at Life Choices and or at Choices. Yeah. Um, we're, we're grateful for you. And so, um, man, I, any uh, College Heights people out there, anyone else listening, you should go serve at Choices and and partner with Carolyn Amen, from her. Colby. Yes. Yes. Because they're awesome. Yeah. And they're Thank providing you. an awesome service to the kingdom and to our area. So we're grateful for you. Thank you very much. Love it. Awesome. Well, thanks, Carolyn. Church people, we love you. We'll see you soon.